Welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Liana Ross, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I'm the assistant director of Gooding Wellness Group, and I'm on a mission to answer your real and honest questions, unfiltered, while also giving you the real and honest opinions of a mental health clinician on pop culture and trending topics. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Be Honest. I'm Liana, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor and your host. We are wrapping up season one, which I can't believe. So I want to do this with a bang because I've had so much fun with this past season, and I'm really excited for the next season and the new guests that I'll be bringing on, the new topics, but we're not there yet. Let me introduce today's topic and today's guest. So today we're going to be talking about love and attachment. And I got a really good questions from you guys and I picked out two of them that I feel like can tailor to a lot of people. I know I can even relate to this and this could even be kind of segmented into what is true love? How do you know if you're in true love? What is insecure attachment? Are we anxious? Are we avoidant, etc.? And how we can all feel so differently in relationships? And is it even love or is it just attachment? So today I have on Laura Caruso. She's a relationship therapist and coach. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, I know this is your jam. So can you tell my listeners a little bit about you and, and about your work? Yeah, so I'm a dating and relationship therapist and coach, like you said. Um, Coaching is a little bit different because in the therapy space, we're processing some attachments like we're going to dive into. Um, A lot of those familial relationships, past experiences and relationships, whereas coaching is a little bit more forward thinking. So we're focusing on what's happening in my current relationship or what are the types of relationships I'm trying to pursue and how can I pursue that? Uh, So that's a little context into the difference between my work as a therapist and a coach. But generally speaking, I work with millennials, late Gen Zs in their 20s and 30s. Um, I'm based in New York. Coaching is not limited to New York, which is really awesome because there are people like all of us all over the world who really need that help in the relationship space. Yes. Thank you for breaking down the difference between coaching and therapists, because I know at first on like Instagram, I was like, what I'm like, I don't get it. Like, what is the difference, right? <laughs> what and do I you mean, <laughs> and like, I love that as a therapist, we have the skills and this level of insight to be the coach. And I think it's just awesome yep. to be able to spread your knowledge and do the work with people outside of New York. So yep. that's really awesome. I think so many people yeah, can really. I think, I think the coaching space really is so dynamic and forward thinking. I mean, there co- there's coaching in everything, right? Health and lifestyle and professional work. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that therapy is where you go to process and coaching is really where you go to change, right? That doesn't mean change doesn't happen in therapy. We know our clients change all the time for for -hmm. the best reasons, right? But that coaching is kind of that quick fix almost. It's how can we do this in the most efficient way possible? Whereas therapy is a little bit more long-term. How can we sustain this change in the most efficient way possible? Mm, it's more solution focused. I like that yep. difference, like you said. It's for process and change, where coaching's like, let's get to the change. Right, right. 
Right. Awesome. So let's let's just jump right in. Let's do it. So can you tell us and tell the listeners and start us off? What are attachments? What does it feel like? Get into it. Oh gosh, what is attachment? <laughs> so attachment is how we show up in a relationship. It's how we relate to another person. Generally speaking, we talk about four different types of attachment. We talk about secure, anxious, avoidant, fearful. This is a big hot topic on therapy, TikTok, therapy, Instagram. Everyone's talking about attachment. Um, and pretty much it comes from our relationships that we have during childhood. So these can be parental, these can be just familial, they can be guardianship, they can be relationships that we have with teachers, with friends, right? Just very primary figures that we have in our lives during childhood who teach us how to relate to others. Mm, and I love the focus that you play because I do the same when I talk about attachments with clients. The focus on how our early childhood or other relationships play such a role in even yeah. our intimate relationships with partners. So like, yeah, your oh, relationship yeah. with your mom growing up impacts your relationship with your future partner later on. Yep. Yep. And I think that's one of the biggest hot topics right now is talking about how am I relating to my partner in this new romantic relationship, right? And so I think a lot of people don't realize there aren't a lot of secure attachment styles out there. It's really hard to have an, a secure attachment. And this means that you had to have your all of your needs met. This means that you never wanted or needed anything additional in your life. Everything was provided for you. And we understand that in a dynamic household, right? A lot of us grew up in these households where maybe we had two parents and both of them were at work, right? So what does that look like when we come home from school and we're so excited to show our favorite art project to our parents, right? That's almost an attachment wound. And it's so interesting because I'm traveling right now, as you might know, but the listeners might not know, I'm traveling in South America right now. And I saw this little girl yesterday who was just crying outside of the store and she really wanted her mom. And I was watching this interaction and I'm sitting there as a therapist looking at it thinking, what's going to happen? Like, what is this attachment going to look like? And she cried for a minute. And then all of a sudden mom comes up and like swoops her up into her arms. And in those first few seconds, I'm freaking out like, oh my gosh, she's going to have an insecure attachment. When realistically, that was just me over exaggerating. Obviously, it's not going to happen from that one moment, right? But that immediate release of I am here. I'm with you, right? That is such a healing moment. And all of a sudden, all of those tears, all of that fear, all of that worry, that didn't matter anymore because mom was there. I've totally had those moments as well where I'm like, yeah. okay, Liana, like you don't even know them. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then I've also seen on the reverse where like if a, if a child is crying and the parent is like, oh my God, get over it. Or like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, oh Jesus, yeah. like this is... This is a recipe for disaster. That poor child. Like, how, like yeah. I can see the future right now. Um, yeah, and it's funny because we only get that one little glimpse. But as therapists, our brains are going down very, very long paths. <laughs> always, always. Uh, you said that a lot of people mainly don't have secure attachments. How does one, like, what do you think about that? Like, I guess, like, how does one even develop a secure attachment? And this just came into my mind. Um, if someone, let's say, didn't have a secure attachment growing up, is it possible to feel secure in relationships later in life? Yes, great question. So secure attachment, 
it's not that it's rare, right? It's just that it's not common. And so when we think about parenting norms, when we think about some of those things that come out of parenting norms, like big boys don't cry and suck it up, or I'll give you something to cry about, right? What is that doing for your attachment? That's teaching you that you can't show your emotion. That's teaching you that you can't turn to your caregiver for support. And so those generational parenting norms are reasons why secure attachments aren't as common. Um, I, I'm going to hype up the millennial generation for a hot second. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. part of the millennial generation. I'm on that cusp of millennial Gen Z. I have no kids, so I can't take any credit for this whatsoever. I can only point out what I'm seeing in my clients. A lot of my young parents are coming in and saying, I don't want to mess my kid up because I was messed up. I believe my parents didn't love me. I believed I wasn't good enough. And so the millennial generation I'm seeing is trying to change those parenting norms. And they're really trying to lean into that secure attachment. How can I show up authentically in this parent-child relationship, but still discipline my kid, right? Because kids still need rules. They still need to learn. But how do I do it in a way that's safe for both of us? So I think secure attachment isn't as common in the millennial and older generations because of those mm -hmm. parenting norms. I'm finding that it's starting to change. Uh, to your second question, is that how do we heal that, right? I think a big misconception is that we can't heal our anxious or avoidant or fearful attachment. We absolutely can. And the foundation of that is just awareness, right? Can we be aware that we're showing up in this relationship with anxiety, with fearfulness, with avoidance, right? How are my thoughts and behaviors impacting this relationship? And can I change that through conscious awareness? Mm, I love just like giving the validation that we can change the attachment styles. Sure. Um, what are the different types of attachment styles? And can you give like some examples where like if listeners are listening and they're like, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> it's not me. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying everything is going to be you, right? Because we all have these behaviors. It's like when you have a cough and a cold at the same time and you Google it on WebMD and suddenly you have cancer, right? Everything mm -hmm. resonates. So just be mindful going into that as I talk about this, that everything is going to resonate for you. I'm speaking specifically, generally, when you mm -hmm. respond to conflict, when you respond to something in a relationship, what is your go-to behavior? So secure attachment, right? For example, there's four attachments. There's secure, anxious, avoidant, and fearful. Uh, sometimes it's fearful is called like disorganized, fearful, avoidant. There are so many different phrases for it, but the four that I use are secure, anxious, avoidant, and fearful. So if we think about a secure attachment, I'm going to use the same example for every single one. Let's say um, you have a fight with your partner, right? So you have a fight with your partner over them coming home late for work. So you cook dinner, your partner came home late, partner missed dinner. Secure attachment, your partner walks in the door and says, baby, I'm so sorry, I missed work, I missed dinner, I was late, things got caught up at work. A secure partner is going to say, you know what, I'm a little upset, but it's okay. Like, let's do something instead. Let's Maybe I'll sit and talk with you while you have dinner, or maybe I'm going to go take a shower. Maybe we can reconnect and watch a movie later, right? So that secure partner can acknowledge and validate, I'm upset. I'm disappointed. What you did was not okay, right? Maybe you could have called. Maybe you could have did this, mm -hmm. but they're not going to hold it over their partner's head. They're going to move on because they understand that their partner coming home late from work is not a reflection of their unworthiness or invalidity, right? An anxious attachment, partner comes home from work and says, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. I missed dinner. I got hold, held up at work. An anxious partner is going to say, well, what were you doing at work? 
right? Who were you with? Were you really working? What was going on? Right. Mm -hmm. There's so much anxiety because suddenly it's a projection of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Or there's someone else. Right. So they're really trying to poke holes at the story, trying to figure out what is this person's behavior? My partner coming home from work. What does their behavior say about me? An avoidant partner, partner comes home from work, misses dinner, maybe I'm so sorry, I got caught up at work, stonewall, no response, right? Maybe cold shoulder, maybe silent treatment, or yeah, it's okay, and then goes in the other room and then doesn't reconnect, doesn't try to repair, right? We're going to completely avoid the situation, so that way we don't have to deal with it. Fearful, on the other hand, this is why it's sometimes called disorganized, right? It's almost like that melting pot of all of the different attachment styles. And so partner comes home from work. I'm so sorry, maybe I missed dinner. It's the poking and prodding. It's the stonewalling. It's the pushing away. It's a combination of every single thing because everything is just so disorganized and dysregulated. And you're so fearful, right? It's that push and pull dynamic of, okay, well, I'm going to stonewall you. I'm going to silent treatment you because I'm very angry with you. But then I'm also going to pull you back in and try to poke holes at your story. Because once I push you away, I'm then really fearful and need to pull you back in. Because now I'm still not good enough, right? I push you away purposely to keep you at a distance. But now I feel not good enough, so I'm going to pull you back in. And that's just kind of what the same situation looks like across the four different attachment styles. I like how you broke it down with the same example, because I think it'll give people a really good insight. Another thing I know when it comes to avoid an attachment is that it's a lot of like the fear of getting hurt, right? So it's like, if you, if I feel like you betrayed me, well, now I'm going to push you away because I want to avoid getting hurt even more, right? So it's like almost like a way to protect ourselves. Yeah. How would you say, how do we look out for these attachment styles? Like, how do we kind of like stop and reflect, especially when it's, we're doing it, you know, because I don't know if I would have been able to do that, you know? I mean, you just nailed it. It's self-reflection, right? And what's one of the scariest things that we're asked to do as humans, self-reflect. We always think about uh, like performance evals, right? That's the first thing that popped into my mind at at work or report cards, right? It's all of these moments where we have to suddenly see a reflection of ourselves that build up so much anxiety. And so when it comes to that deeper inner work as well, we don't want to self-reflect because we're taught that it's terrifying. So the way that we do so is we start to look at how are we showing up in our relationships? And one of the best things that I like to say to clients is, how do you think your partner is experiencing you in this moment? Right? So can you really stop yourself in your tracks as you're pushing your partner away, as you're giving them the silent treatment, as you're grilling them question after question about their day? Can you stop yourself and ask, how is my partner experiencing me, right? And a lot of people can't, and it's hard. It's so much easier said than done because it's really hard to look inwards. But the only way to change that attachment style, to change how we show up in our relationships, to heal our behavior in relationships and heal our emotions, right? And our thought patterns in relationships is to stop ourselves and ask, how am I showing up? And how is my partner experiencing me? This episode is sponsored by Mountainside Treatment Center. Mountainside Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed behavioral health work specializing in individualized alcohol and drug rehabilitation programs and services. Our main campus, located in Connecticut, offers private detox, residential, extended care, and intensive outpatient services. 
Mountainside is also close to home with locations in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, in addition to virtual services throughout the state of Massachusetts. We also have a hub for recovery in Chelsea, Manhattan, offering recovery coaching, family recovery coaching, sober events, and support groups. Check us out at mountainside.com. Those are good questions to ask ourselves. (laughs) And I will also like if let's say we're having a hard time on that self-reflection, that's also why it's so beneficial to go to therapy, right? Because our therapist will be the one to kind of reflect back at us some of these behaviors, some of the mindsets, some of the oh, well, you mentioned this thing about your upbringing. Like, how do we think that's impacting us now? Or like, let's yep. talk about the situation where you blew up your partner's phone when they didn't call you. Yeah. Um, I also want to touch on that for a second as mm-hmm. well. I love that you brought therapy into this because there are people out there who are working with therapists who aren't asking these questions, who mm-hmm. aren't reflecting these behaviors back. They'll just sit and nod and be the uh-huh therapist. And if you really want to make effective change in your life, you need a therapist who is going to confront those issues with you. You need someone who's going to push back. You don't need someone who's just going to sit there and nod their head and say, uh-huh. And so in that whole, I call looking for a therapist like dating, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so comparable. First, you need to find someone who you really form a connection with, but you also need to find someone who's going to help you grow. And so questions that you need to be asking when you're looking for a therapist is, how are you going to help me work through my stuff, right? How are you going to, help me build self-awareness. What do you do in your work with clients that's going to help me grow? Yes. Yes. How many times that I've like gotten calls from prospect, you know, possible clients and they say, I had a therapist that would just nod and not kind of direct me, which is fine. Like that's some people's styles, but like most of the time we want someone to kind of lead us towards a different path. We want obviously something different. Like if we are going to therapy Um, so I like that you, um, thank you so much for pointing that out. Those questions to ask, because I don't think a lot of people know. So please listeners write that down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so from my own experience, I know that I've stayed in, I would even call them relationships, like the talking stage with people purely based out of attachment, purely based about just because it was someone there. But then when I look back, I'm like, we had nothing in common. Like that was not an enjoyable time. Like it was such a waste of, I wouldn't say a waste of time, but it was not ideal. So how do you know if it's, if you actually like someone or love someone, or if you're just attached? Such a good question. I also first want to point on the talking stage. This is like one of my favorite phrases to use. I call the talking stage a cop out right? It's an avoidance. It's quite literally avoidant attachment of talking about the dynamic that's playing out. Are we doing it or not? Right? And so you have to have that conversation. The talking stage has become such a norm in dating culture that everyone is just glorifying it and saying, oh, I'm talking to this person. Well, what what does that mean? Does that mean you're texting them? Does that mean you're like making out with them on Friday nights? Like, what does that mean? You're talking to them. I'm talking to you, Liana. Yeah, like, <laughs> like are we exclusive? Are you? Right. I, compl- I couldn't agree more. Right. Like, out. what is happening? So, I just want to say that about the talking stage, but also about is it attachment or love? There are so many things to be mindful of. I talk about relationships in three stages. I talk about the dating stage. I talk mm-hmm. about. Um, I guess I wouldn't call it the talking stage. I would call it like the initial stage, like first meeting and then the dating stage and then the partnership stage, 
right? And so when we think partnership stage, I feel like minds automatically go to marriage. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to that deeper level of commitment where two or more people say, you know what? That's it. We're doing the damn thing. We're committing to this love Mm -hmm. and we're in it to win it. And we want to make this relationship better and stronger and healthier. The initial stage is when you're first like feeling it out, right? I guess that's the dating culture talking stage, getting to know someone, figuring out if you have anything in common, which I don't think is super important, but obviously that's what people gravitate towards is commonalities. And then you have the dating stage, right? So the dating stage can last forever. It can last a month. It can last four months. It can last three years. It can last literally a lifetime. Some people will progress to later stages like marriage and children and things like that without ever actually entering that commitment stage because they stay in the superficial level Mm. of just hanging out essentially, right? We just have these shared interests. We have a shared lifestyle, but we're never actually making a deeper commitment to make each other better people to force each other outside of our comfort zones to grow. And so that dating stage is really the attachment, right? I like this person. I like having them around. They make me feel good. They're great. But it's not love, right? True love is commitment. It's that Mm. third stage. And people get to that commitment stage within three months of a relationship sometimes. Or it takes them a lifetime to get there. Right. So we need to check in with ourselves. Am I am I just doing this out of conveniency because I like to have this person around or am I truly committing every fiber of my existence to making this relationship better? That is love. And I think people get up and say, I do and make their vows without ever actually internally reaching that level of deeper commitment. Oh, I never, I didn't think that was going to be the answer. That's like very, (laughs) I love that way of looking at it. That because, you know, I'm sure you can see a lot of couples. I know couples out in my life where you know that they haven't gotten that deeper level. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but like, you, you kind of question it. You're just like, yeah, mm, right. Like, and it is so easy to stay in that superficial above surface type of level. And I love that, you know, relating attachment to the dating stage, which makes sense, right? You're like, kind of like, figuring yourself out with the person. Of course, you have to. Right. And then it's like, I yeah, it's going to take time to love that person, right? If we like yeah. say love right off the bat, what is that? Like what, because a lot of times, I mean, I know I've said I love you to a person when I didn't actually love them. It was re- yeah. as I'm looking back at it, but really it was just a form of attachment. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my last relationship just ended and I was ready for an engagement. And now looking back, I'm like, holy crap, I wasn't even attached. I was attached. I wasn't even in love. Did I love him? Absolutely. Did I care about him? Absolutely. Did I think he was a great person? Absolutely. But looking back, was I in love? Was I really committed to that relationship? No. Maybe sometimes I was, but the commitment wasn't mutual, right? It, It didn't pass the attachment on his end. It was just attachment and that's not true love that's not a deeper connection that's not a real relationship or commitment but we throw ourselves into these experiences right because that's the norm that's what dating culture tells us dating culture told me oh i'm 27 i should be getting engaged i should be doing this and that and i'm going to a wedding every single weekend and raising champagne to all these people who are not in love they're just attached but that's what i'm supposed to be doing too right and i'm a dating and relationship therapist So for anyone listening, that just points out like nobody's perfect. We have to do that deeper work. And sometimes something as big as 
a breakup or a lost job or just an entire world flipped upside down forces us to do that deeper work. And we need to take advantage of that. A hundred percent. And look, now look at where you are. You're after the relationship has ended, having this whole different perspective (laughs) on it. And it's like, oh my God, like if I continued in that, yeah, like who knows? And I've been there too. I mean, you know, not, not as long, but I look back on a lot of the partnerships I was in and I'm like, what? Am I well? Like, no. (laughs) So I want to get into some listener questions. I have two here that I felt like was really, really good. Okay. So this is the first one. The first person said, I used to always worry if my partner's body language was off. Their energy was different, not acting the same, and worry if I did something wrong. Was it my fault? I must have caused them to shift their mood or feeling towards me. I mean, I could have written this because I felt this way. So, Oh my gosh. I feel like this person literally asked me on my coffee cues this week. So every Wednesday for anyone who doesn't know, I answer questions about dating, relationships, sex, mental health, you name it. We're adding more topics into the mix every week. But um, I answer questions like these every single Wednesday as I sit down with a cup of coffee and I swear I got literally the same question. And I made a reel about it today. Like, you're not, you're not wrong. You're not crazy. You are not insane for noticing these differences. If you are noticing those differences and your intuition is telling you that, trust that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So trust that intuition, right? But then what do we do next? Because we don't just want to trust our intuition and then leave it at that. We want to figure out what do we do? Have a conversation with your partner. Hey, I noticed something was off. Maybe if I can't exactly pinpoint what was off, this is how I'm feeling inside. I'm feeling like a little left out. I'm feeling a little confused. Can we just have a conversation about this, right? Bring it into a conversation that involves both of you so that you can get some clarity and validate that it wasn't your fault. Or maybe it was, right? Maybe you were really grumpy Mm -hmm. and we're all grumpy, right? We're not, we're all human. We're not perfect. And maybe it was your fault, but that gives you guys a conversation or an opportunity to have a conversation to heal that repair. It also gives you a conversation to validate. Maybe it had absolutely nothing to do with you and something was just going on in your partner's life. Always turn to the communication. If the communication isn't happening, that's a different conversation, right? If you try to initiate that conversation and your partner rejects it or deflects it or avoids it or whatever, that's a whole different conversation to have. Yes. And, and and I've said on your podcast, like, that's your answer, right? Yeah. It's not the answer we would love, but it's your answer, right? If they're yes. turning it around on you, if they don't want to talk about it, if yeah. they're turning you away, well, you just got more information, right? And, yep. and it takes you away from ruminating in your own head. Um, and I, and I love Brene Brown. And one thing that she always yeah. says is one of one of her specials, she said that the line of the story I'm telling myself is because she was having this thought about with her husband and it wasn't actually a rational thought, but she wanted to just like let him know that that was a story in her head. So I also want to, if you use that or if you even communicate this with your partner, you're not quote unquote crazy because I think that's also another fear that a lot, especially women fall into. Um, So you're not. Okay. And if they make you feel that you are, red flag. (laughs) Major red flag. Five red flags. But we were also branded as women as crazy, right? It's so much easier 
And one of my favorite ways to twist this around, it almost kind of feels like gaslighting. So I'm going to preface it with that. But when someone talks about how crazy a woman is, I say, how many women do you know who started a war? Oh, right? I love that. I don't know a lot of women who started a war. So I don't know. I think women are always the ones who are trying to talk. And I think women can be crazy. I could be absolutely batshit crazy. Totally. But it's a reactive crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be reactively crazy to you gaslighting me. I'm going to be reactively crazy to you ignoring me, to you blowing up my spot, to you doing all of these horrible things to me, right? Of course, I'm going to be crazy in response. It's reactive. Right, right. You talking to your partner is not crazy, right? No. Um, so let's, I want to move on to the next question because this is a little mix of attachment styles. Oh, yeah. So the person said, I know I am anxious in relationships, so I end up avoiding them altogether to not feel that way. (laughs) Yes, my friend, that is the definition of anxious, avoided, or fearful, or disorganized attachment. What's coming up for you? That's my question, right? What is the fear that when you get into this relationship, what's the fear that's going to happen? Are you going to be hurt? Are you going to be rejected? Are you going to be abandoned? We can't be abandoned as adults, so... We'll talk about that in another episode. But what is the fear that's coming up? Why are you pushing this person away? Why are you avoiding the relationships? And when you're in a relationship, because it sounds like you have some awareness about your anxiety in relationships, what's coming up for you? What are those thoughts? What's the story that's playing in your head? And what is that digging up for you inside? How does that feel in your body? Can you sit with that feeling? And if you can't, why? right? That's the work that needs to be done. Mm, so almost like dealing with the two attachments, like separately, I mean, dealing with it together, but also taking a look at the anxious and the avoidant as two separate things. Yeah. Because maybe it's coming from either the same place or different places that there's more stuff going on underneath. Yeah. I would say even looking at it as like pre peri and post relationship, right? So mm-hmm. what's coming up for you as you're dating and you're interested in this person What's then coming up for you while you're in a relationship? And then when you push that relationship away or you completely ghost or throw it out, right? What's coming up for you then? How has that avoidance helped soothe your nervous system for everything that was coming up pre and peri relationship? Ooh, I like that. So seeing it as Because it's working. Yeah, exactly. It's like, obviously, this has probably been going on for a while. And right. has probably helped mask some of the, like the emotions or fears or whatever it is. Right. So catching it in action. Yeah. That avoidance is helping because it's numbing something out. And so what is it numbing? What's coming up before and during? That's, that's amazing advice. Thank you. And thank you, Laura, for coming on today. I'm so excited for my listeners to hear this. Um, my 23-year-old self would have really needed this. Um, <laughs> My 25-year-old self really needed this as well. Uh, I needed this yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Of course, of course. So can you tell everyone where they can find you, connect with you, work with you, listen to your podcast? Oh my gosh, yes. Liana and I just recorded an episode for Emotionally Available. It comes out January 2nd. Super excited. We're unpacking body image, New Year's resolutions, family attachment parenting norms, all the good stuff. Um, So my podcast is called Emotionally Available Podcast. I do have an Instagram for it. It's not super active. So you're probably better off just following me at laurakaruso.therapy 
on Instagram and TikTok. I'm not huge on TikTok. I'm still trying to figure out my relationship with social media. So bear with me, but I am super active on Instagram. Uh, so you can check me out there at lauracruso.therapy. I'm also a therapist and a coach. I work within the state of New York. So if you live in New York and you're interested in therapy, come find me on Instagram, shoot me a DM. Um, and then I also coach outside of state lines. So if you're looking for someone to really work with you to change those dating patterns and relationship patterns, send me a message. Awesome. Thank you. Oh my God. I feel like so many of my listeners will be reaching out. Um, and <laughs> Love I wanna, it. I want to thank all of my listeners and you, Laura, for this season and coming on even as like the season finale guest. That's a big one. Mm, um, so and I'm so excited for next season. Um, like I said, you can follow me personally at Liana Ross LMHC. Let me know what topics, requests, or even guests you want me to have on next season. Um, that's what this whole podcast is about, kind of listener-based requests. And remember to head to goodingwellness.com to either work with me or one of our amazing clinicians. And last but not least, I want to thank Mountainside again for their amazing partnership and sponsoring this podcast. And I will see y'all on season two. Hi, my name is Gordon Gooding. I'm the founder and director of the Gooding Wellness Group here in Cold Spring Harbor, New York. We are a group of mental health providers that offer individual and family counseling here on Long Island. We believe the first step for caring for your mental health is to talk and to learn about it, which is what this podcast does such a great job of. If it has a name, someone else has been through it, and so can you. If you ever need a professional that cares about what you are facing, please feel free to reach out to us. Our counseling services are available throughout New York State through our teletherapy service, and we also offer in-person sessions in our beautiful offices here on Long Island, New York. You can reach us at goodingwellness.com or by calling 631-351-2940. Remember, there's nothing that you need to face alone. Until then, keep listening, be deliberate with your mental health, and keep it honest.